Howdy, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Riverdog Bakery. Riverdog is devoted to making and serving the highest quality fresh baked dog treats containing human grade, all natural ingredients. Riverdog makes and bakes all of their fresh treats on site in the Riverdog kitchen. That means they're fresh. They're baked right there in the building. They also only use the most wholesome fresh ingredients with no additives, preservatives, artificial colorings, or flavors. Show your furry friends how much you love them and treat them to a little something from the Riverdog Bakery. Say hi to Brian and Pam while you're in there and tell them that South of Scruffy sent you. You can also go to RiverdogBakery.com, place an order, and get free shipping on orders over $50. This episode is also brought to you by Cosmetic. Cosmetic Hemp Pain Cream helps ease aches, pains, inflammation, and arthritis with their proprietary CBD-infused skin care solution. Each bottle of Cosmetic's Hemp Pain Cream is infused with 400 milligrams of their patented CBD solution. I love it. Sarah loves it. You'll love it. Be kind to your skin and go to Cosmedicated.com and use promo code SOS20 at checkout to get 20% off of your entire order. All right. Let's podcast. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. I'm glad you're here. We're doing the damn thing. We do the thing here. I talk to my favorite artists and entertainers and musicians and movers and shakers and makers and takers. And I kind of have a bit of a legend on the show today. His name is Charlie Debevoys. Uh, Charlie founded North South Productions, which is a bit of a juggernaut in the cable television space. They've produced thousands of hours of television over the years. The last 21 years they've been around. He started it in the year 2000. And uh, you probably know about some of their shows like Impractical Jokers or Say Yes to the Dress. But there's tons of shows out there that that Charlie's company has created. And uh, to say it was an honor to have him on the show would be a severe understatement. And one of the things that uh, we've kind of brushed up against on this show and kind of talked about a little bit is the Ross Bagwell tree of production that all started long ago with this one guy. And it's the reason that we have so much production here in town. It's the reason HGTV is here. It's the reason Jupiter Entertainment is in Knoxville. It's the reason Rivers in Knoxville. It's the reason North South Productions is in Knoxville. It all came from this one kind of origin. And uh, Charlie came from that tree. And so we got to talk about that quite a bit. And it was fascinating for me to get in there and dig in a little bit deeper with all these questions I've I've had about our roots and where we came from and and why our company Pop Fizz has been able to come into a space and there's already this foundation built of production that has been here for a couple of decades. Knoxville is the fifth largest production market in America according to some sources. And According to some sources, Knoxville is the 132nd largest city by population. So it doesn't make sense. Like, why do we have this disproportionate amount of production here? Well, me and Charlie got to the bottom of that. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Check it out on YouTube, too, if you guys want to watch this. It's on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash south of Scruffy. Episode number 55, Charlie Debevoys. It's all on video. We can check it out there if you want to. Come on now. Let's do it. Help me make welcome, my man. Charlie Debevoise. We're doing the podcast. Cord goes on the left, by the way. If 
you care. I don't know that it matters. Yeah, no, I, I really am not good at filtering myself, and and um, I do tend to you know go down certain rabbit holes that have to do with like current um, the political climate, which you may or may not want to include. Uh, you know, I just actually you know this morning wrote to a bunch of friends of mine who live in France. Um, cause I'm sure they're just, you know, like freaking WTF, out. you yeah. know, what's going on? Um, are we recording? Yeah. Um, and you know, I just, uh, I said, this is the perfect coda. I mean, this interview is mm. happening two days or after, uh, just a, a nightmare situation. And, sure. um, you know, I think it's the perfect coda to, uh, you know, to a present, you know, a malignant presidency that was enabled by, you know, um, opportunistic politicians and, and opportunistic media. And, you know, there's real grievances that we need to address. Um, but, you know, just the election of Trump alone should have should have opened people's eyes to that, should have given people the, the motivation to say, oh, my God, what have we wrought? This is a symptom of something really bad happening, and we need to help people. We need to deal with, you know, income inequality, which is growing, and and how all of these people have been left behind, and you know, the opioid crisis. I mean, let's just go through the list, sure. you know, and um, and and not, you know, just sort of look down our noses at uh, uh. And think of them as just you know redneck yahoos in in the in the flyover states, and that's one of the things that's been interesting in my life is I have uh, spent split my time and spent so much of my time in two radically different places. Uh, I still have an office in New York City, and uh, I have an office in Knoxville, and uh, so you know while I am you know clearly a member of the media elite. And I was raised in a, you know, a very, uh, you know, insulated um, world outside of New York City. Um, being in Knoxville um, has really opened my eyes to another part of the United States, which uh, I really value and and um, um, and enjoy. So um, it's an interesting. It's been an interesting bifurcated life I've had. How did it happen that way? Uh, how did you end up? I mean, did you grow up in New York? I grew up in uh, the fi- the garden state of New oh, Jersey, Jersey. Um, about an hour, a um, little bit more than an hour outside of New York in this um, kind of rural, very beautiful little area. Um, There's beautiful parts of New Actually not far from Bedminster, which is gotcha. uh, where Trump has his golf course. Um and I used to, you know, I used to play hockey out at Far Hills, which is right around the corner from that golf course. So that's the world that I grew up in. Um, and my it was a bedroom community to New York. Um, I ended up um, going to NYU. Hmm. Um, Did you do the Tisch thing? No, I didn't. Um, I had, uh, I decided on a, um, a far more useful degree. Um, <laughs> I have a double major in uh French literature, 
and philosophy, uh, which my parents were thrilled, thrilled about. Um, well, your last name sounds French. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we're, that was, I mean, we're just American mutts. I mean, that family, Debevoise, uh, was a family that settled in Brooklyn in the 1600s. And, and uh, mm. so we're, we're, you know, we have a long history. Uh, I call ourselves, we're part of the... Uh, the tribe of lawn people who've lived in New Jersey for a bunch of generations. Yeah, it's, there's no Ellis Island to it. It was long before that, right? Long before, yeah. But uh, you know, we settled and 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 chose um, you know mowing lawns as our as our primary source of entertainment. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so no, so I grew up in that area and lived in New York. Um, uh, Went to, I mean, went to NYU, got that useless degree, and um, and then I moved to Los Angeles, um, and that was really to uh, live closer to uh, my older sister who had moved out there, and she uh, had married this guy who um, is a documentary filmmaker by the name of Alex Gibney, mm. um, who's you know now a he's a actual national treasure uh, of brilliant filmmaking. And he's done everything from Going Clear, the documentary HBO doc about Scientology, to, um, you know, his his more recent stuff has focused on um, the the COVID crisis. Um, he's really, he's, he's an amazing filmmaker. But anyway, so I went out to LA, uh, ended up <laughs> through, you know, pure serendipity, um, getting into the magazine business, as a copy editor um, mm. in college, I'd worked as a proofreader at law firms to make money. This was a thing. What do you read at, at, as a proofreader? Um, you read um, every document that a law firm produces. So New York has these huge blue chip firms sure. that um, are responsible for defending, you know, the likes of, of Union Carbide and, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, Big Pharma yeah. against, you know, class action suits. Right. And so, um, and, and the, this was predating, you know, a lot of the, the sort of, I mean, there was, there were word processors. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old. There were word processors, but there were these rooms full of proofreaders um, and typists who would, you know, physically read every document and mark them up for, you know, whether it's typos or grammatical wow. issues. And, and we were, you know, reading everything from um, uh, things about major mergers and acquisitions. In fact, um, every year there would be someone arrested for, you know, using insider information yeah. to make money. SEC uh, violations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, uh, there were also, you know, really horrendous things. Like uh, I, would, I was um, working at a uh, law firm called Dewey Ballantyne that uh, was defending um, Eli Lilly uh, wow. from a class action suit that had to do with DES, which was a drug that was used to prevent miscarriages that caused all kinds of like horrendous, awful things with to women. With the kid or the mom? But, well, mostly the kid. Mm. Uh, and so... Um, <clears throat> And I was reading this and I was just, you know, absolutely, you know, horrified. And, and here I was, you know, helping this, this, uh, this, this big company, you know, defend, defend themselves. Itself. But yeah. anyway, so, uh, I moved out to LA to be closer to my, uh, my sister who was having a baby and, and, um, uh, and I had some other friends out there, 
and this is 1985. I mm. uh, drove across the country and and um, found myself in this this magazine business. Um, and um, and that's you know where I started hearing about this company called Whittle Communications, which was. Uh, a company that surprisingly a lot of people in Knoxville didn't no longer know about because it was an amazing uh, sort of force um, within the media industry um, in that it created this special brand of magazine and there were other media, uh, these posters um, for targeted audiences uh, and they called it place-based media. Mm. And um, back in the day, the company was originally called 1330, and they um, uh, managed to acquire um, Esquire magazine um, and uh, and then sell it for, you know, bazillion dollars. A little arbitrage for Whittle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Chris and his former business partner, Phil Moffat, split, and Chris Whittle started – uh, Whittle Communications, and it was sort of like a uh, a dot com kind of vibe, um, and they brought people, uh, creatives, uh, and marketing folks from New York and L.A. into Knoxville um, to work on a variety of different projects, and and I was hired um, initially as a as a uh, an assistant editor uh, to work on a publication. Um, that was a, a single sponsor magazine called Pursuits that was sponsored by Merrill Lynch. Um, and it was it was basically about the avocations of of rich um, uh, overachievers. And uh, so it had profiles of, you know, like a, one guy, um, Gil Kaplan, who had um, created in, uh, Institutional Investor Magazine and sold it for a ton of money. This guy, he decided to um, learn how to conduct Mahler's Second Symphony, which is like notoriously difficult. And he just applied himself to doing that. He wanted to do the definitive recording of this symphony. Someone had absolutely no background. In music at all. Yeah, but he's, you know, an arrogant uh, entrepreneur, rich guy and... So we we profile people like that. Um and and what was the name of the publication? Pursuits. Again? Pursuits. And, and so what so a single a single sponsor publication. So it's Merrill Lynch sponsored Pursuits and mm-hmm. then it, it became And then it distributed it to its high net worth individuals. Gotcha. So um I came into Knoxville um having never been south of anywhere uh, south of DC. You know, and 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 this is so. Whittle was in L.A. as thirteen no, thirty. No, no, no. Whittle was in Knoxville. So okay, they were so recruiting people. Was was two guys, mm-hmm. Chris Whittle and the other guy, mm-hmm. and then Chris Phil Whittle Moffitt. and then Phil Moffat, and then they split up. Yep. And Chris Whittle came to Knoxville. No, they so thirteen thirty was always in Knoxville. Ah, gotcha. They had okay. been. I think they went to UT together. Gotcha. Um, and that's where they met. I okay. mean, they were young, no, no, aggressive you. entrepreneurs who wanted to create um, media targeted for people who were thirteen to thirty. That's where the name. Interesting. That was the demographic that they were going for. I think they had a college publication that they put out. Chris Whittle is 
an amazing entrepreneur. He's an amazing salesman. You know, anyone that you interview who that's the first thing they'll say, the guy can sell snow to Eskimos kind of thing. Super charismatic. And, you know, they built this thing and that was, uh, that people, uh, in New York and LA, in the publishing industry, in the media business, we're talking about, um, it was growing quickly. He was raising a ton of money. Um, he had built this thing called uh, special reports. And then he built this thing called channel one, uh, channel which, one that was distributed to all the schools. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it yeah. growing up. Yeah. Well, Lisa Ling. Was, yeah. Lisa Ling, Anderson Cooper. Yeah. Was he on channel? Yeah. One? Yeah. Oh, so anyway, that was that was all uh, Chris Whittle's doing. Um, I mean, he also hired a bunch of other, you know, really shrewd uh, sales guys and and um, came up with these wild ideas for of you know, sort of getting around the traditional media. Again, keep in mind this is pre-internet, right? So they he was coming up with niche specific audiences that could that he could reach in certain specific places. So for example, doctors waiting rooms, he figured, you know, they figured through, you know, their research that, uh, in family practice offices, in pediatric offices and, you know, X, Y, Z offices that there would be people sitting there waiting for their appointments for a specific period of time. And, uh, we're going to create a group of magazines uh, called Special Reports. Um, that was that group was headed by a guy named Keith Bellows, who had a tragic ending, but that's a different story. And um, and we're going to, you know, they raised a ton of money to distribute these things and set up, um, you know, cases uh, within doctors' offices um, and b- build these absolutely stunning magazines that focused on. Special reports, health, special reports, uh, entertainment, special reports, whatever, whatever it was. I can't remember exactly. Um, so it was called place-based media. Channel one is effectively the same thing. It's only that it's TV that's being dimmed. You've got this, this audience that is essentially, you know, imprisoned in their schools, in their seats, captive audience. (laughs) And, um, we're going to beam them something useful, which mm-hmm. is 10 minutes of daily news. It's actually, it was less than that because it was two, that would include, and this was sort of the Trojan horse issue, two minutes of ads, mm-hmm. you know, into public schools. And they sold that into 8,000 schools. Um, and that meant wiring these schools with, you know- uh, Putting a television putting in every television classroom. Putting television in every classroom. Yeah. And, and that was one of the selling points to these schools that were having budgetary issues, you know. They were going to get themselves uh, their own, you know, TV system that they could pump their own programming into. Right. And, and so Whittle did the infrastructure and all that kind of everything. stuff? Everything. Installation? And that too? was the, yeah, wow. the, the the field department uh, was really, they were sort of the unsung heroes of, of this world because, you know, Chris and his marketing guys could sell- uh, you know, these brilliant ideas to marketers and they would, you know, they would sell them into, you know, like uh, f- for the high schools, it would be like clear sill and, and uh, yeah. um, the and, body spray now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's whatever, yeah. you know, for, uh, for the poor sort of captive audience kids um, that they were selling to. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so the company was, was growing leaps and bounds, but, it was also, you know, there was a huge amount of, of 
uh, sort of hubris and and uh, miscalculation about spending, and and yeah. uh, so people don't realize that 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 the um, uh, the court building downtown, that big beautiful yeah. brick court building, was the um, the Whittle headquarters mm-hmm. before it became um, the court building, um, and I'd read at the you know sort of as as we were spiraling into oblivion. Um, I was still working there. I'd read a quote, um, uh, you know, that's sort of the notion of hubris before nemesis. Uh, well, hubris, someone had said um, that uh, building an atrium building was always a sign that a company was going to go under. Oh yeah. Uh, and this to a certain extent was, was, you know, that, that big gorgeous building that's beautiful, you know, it's stunning. Yeah. And and I had a big, beautiful office that, you know. How many people worked there? Uh, at its peak, I think it was about a thousand folks. Not not downtown. Right. I mean, we you know, like Channel One was produced by David Newman, his team. Was that in of, DC? No, that was LA. Was it LA? Really? It was LA, LA, but they had offices in DC and wow. New York. And so then, Whittle started as just print, just print, and then was Channel One and Channel One News and all that kind of stuff. Was that the early days, the infancy of moving into other yeah. mediums. So this was happening, you know, in, in, in Knoxville. And I was, I was working with my boss, Tom Lombardo is this incredibly wonderful guy who uh, now really works as a poet. I mean, he, wow. he sort of, he ran a huge department uh, within Whittle um, was a fantastic manager, um, great writer. And, um, and he, you know, after Channel One's you know successful launch, um, they decided to um, create a Channel One for doctors called Medical News Network, mm. um, and it was the same basic idea except that the the TV would sit on a doctor's again before t- internet, right? <laughs> the, before the, everybody's face was in their exactly. phone the whole time. <laughs> exactly. So you know, uh, so there there'd be this this. Um, TV sitting on doctors' desks uh, where they could get both uh, political news as well as um, as health-related news. Um, doctors are inundated with, you know, magazines like New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA and sure. all these, you know. And, you know, uh, newspapers and the news in general sort of pick up on stories. You know, one day, um, you know, drinking wine is good for cholesterol. The next yeah. day it isn't. Um, but also this was happening during um, Hillary Clinton's efforts to change the healthcare system. As a first lady? Uh, no. Yes, as a first lady. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so there, there were these hearings. Doctors were freaking out, you know. And so there was a great motivation for uh, doctors to to watch daily news for both those reasons. Um, and so Whittle, you know, shrewdly, uh, he and a guy named Alan Greenberg shrewdly came up with this idea of Medical News, ne- news Network. And, um, and, and Tom and I were responsible for, co- for creating the, the content. Wow. Well, okay. and, and, and really sort of like the content approach. So was that your first foray into motion? That's right. <laughs> Instead of. That's print? right. Yeah. That's okay. right. And, and so, and that speaks to you know, sort of my orientation in general to media tends to be kind of opportunistic sure. and entrepreneurial. Uh, so, so yeah, so we we ended up hiring uh, this wonderful MD named Nancy Snyderman, who was at uh, NBC, 
Um, and uh, we worked with her to create the pilot. Uh, and then we marketed this to um, drug companies uh, because they were, you know, going to be targeting advertisers. their advertisers. Yeah. And so we raised a um, hundred million bucks um, wow. and uh, um, traveled around the world. At one point I was going to be moving to London to launch Medical News Network International. Wow. Um, and then it all just sort of fell apart. Uh, this sort of house of cards um, uh Whittle was hemorrhaging money and, and um, the launches weren't, you know, bringing in, you know, it's this sort of classic uh, business mistakes. Um, did Medical News Network ever happen? It did. It did. As a, the five, yeah. It, it, there was a 5,000 doctor beta effort. Okay. So you, so you guys had, and this is in these... the early nineties. I was, right. I had an AOL account, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dial up. So you guys were putting these televisions on doctor's desks. And but the 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 key was also more Trojan horses here. The key <laughs> was that there was also these um, these keypads that doctors could use to take to to because one of the other offerings of Medical News Network was not only the sort of news component but also continuing medical education. Oh wow! CME. Wow. Which is a which. You know, is a corrupt world. Was at the time, right? It was a super corrupt world. Insiders lot, helping your buddies. You got to get the CEUs well, from you got, this you, company. You, you got to get C, CME credits. Yeah. You know, continuing medical education credits every year, and a lot of that uh, that the continuing medical education was coming from pharma. Mm. Uh, that yeah. would do something on, say, um, I mean, I know this yeah. shit. I can't believe I still remember it, but. Um, BPH is uh, is a, is an issue that um, the uh, pros it's it has to do with male prostate issues. Okay, so yeah. it's a it's a benign prostate issue issue, and doc and pharma was coming up with drugs to treat that. Right. Okay, and so inevitably there was a lot of CME oriented toward. BPH, right. or you know, um, we also targeted uh, col- you know sort of um, uh, cardiologists, and so there would be a lot of things toward you know cholesterol, low in cholesterol. Um, and the that, doctors had to get these CMEs every year, right, or every two years to keep their license. That's right. And That's so they right. would use your machines. They'd use these machines to do that. But yeah. then, of course, you know, the pharmaceutical corporations were also shipping these doctors to Hawaii yeah. for their CME courses. And in right. fact, they were spending the entire time playing golf. And um, but, you know, here I was with my degree in philosophy and French literature <laughs> and my background in, in creating media in whatever form I had to become a, um, a certified provider of continuing medical education. Really? Yes. To create the content, to create this whole CME program. Okay. Cause all of this content had to be certified. And so I spent, I was like a million miler on Delta you know, wow. in the, in the mid nineties, because and this is 93, 94, um, because I was traveling around putting together a consortium of universities to help us certify the CME and create this, these CME courses that were taken on this little keypad. Right. In addition, this little keypad enabled people to uh, write scripts so they could write their signature on this interactive keypad 
which sound which we we co-developed with Philips, which is right around the corner. Wow. And um, they uh, doctors could get s- drug samples. <laughs> I know. It, it, so all of this, all all of the the creating the content that goes on the screen, creating the infrastructure that these doctors can get their CMEs on this new screen. Was it all in the name of ad sales? Of course. Of course. All of it. All of it. All the Trojan oh. horses you talked about. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> it was all, amazing. No, we raised a hundred million bucks. We got $40 million from Merck. We got $40 million from uh, Shearing Plow. We got $40 million from, well, maybe that's 120,000, 120 million. We got, <laughs> yeah, we got, 20 we got, more got okay, we got, okay. Uh, Glaxo was in there. I mean, it, yeah, it was, it was, um, of course, that was the engine that drove Whittle. And, that's and, uh, uh, that drives, uh, that drives, uh, everything. Fox news. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're all shameless in our, um, pursuits. You well, know. it's interesting because the way to get the fight for eyeballs was more lopsided back then. It seems like it seems like it's on the television. That's where it is. If you're watching a commercial yeah. now, there's a lot yeah, of different ways to were, get it. That's right. There were very few, there were very few gatekeepers at the time. So you guys were being innovative and entrepreneurial in a way that you were creating a new platform platform for that's right to get the eyeballs on it. And then the content ultimately, and a lot of the folks that I worked with uh, ended up working for, um, Oh, it's not MedNet. Um, WebMD. Oh yeah. So the, I think WebMD ended up acquiring a lot of that content. Really? All uh, the the because there was there was there was there was yeah you guys created mm-hmm. that never and really got deployed. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I you know, I don't know. I mean, there was just, it was liquidated when Whittle went away. Well, then then also uh, Alan Greenberg, who was just this brilliant. Oh my God, seeing that guy sell. Um, there was just this, we, and feel free to rein me in here. No, no, I mean, no, I so, so, um, you know, we had to go, my Tom Lombardo and I had to go, um, to, uh, France to sell medical news news network to Merck international. Merck is, you know, huge, huge pharmaceutical corporation. And um, we were going into, you know, enemy territory. These people didn't want anything to do with Medical News Network. And uh, so, you know, we had put together, Tom and I had put together our creative pitch. And Alan Greenberg and his team were doing the marketing pitch. And um, the morning of this this pitch to all of the, you know, sort of Merck Germany, Merck France, Merck England, you know, just the whole, this, this group of the, you know, the heads of all of these divisions um, were, we were at this, uh, you know, this incredible sort of golf chateau outside of Paris. Um, And um, we were, you know, shuffled into, uh, we were meeting with these folks in a, a conference room. Uh, But prior to this, that morning, we go and meet with Alan Greenberg um, and see how his side of the pitch is going. And he is in his palatial, you know, hotel room, bare, you know, he's, he's so- socking, sock, uh, he's wearing socks and he's disheveled. And he was this t- really lanky, you know, tall, uh, redhead. Um, and we saw that he was like putting together the pitch 
at that morning. And we're like, <laughs> oh my God, we're fucked. <laughs> anyway, so um, we walk into this pitch and they've set up the, 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 the room so that we were at this like, you know, this row of, of seats facing, you know, it must've been 20 of these angry, um, totally non-receptive, uh, um, pharmaceutical executives. And I watched Alan Greenberg, who was like this kind of, Oh shucks, you know, (laughs) we're just, you know, from little old Tennessee and, and uh, watched him turn that room. It was it was amazing. And we walked out. You know, I'm just, they probably wrote us a check that day for one you know billion dollars. That's fantastic. So anyway, that was uh, you know working with guys like that. You know, and, and it sounds like see- you certainly had exposure to a lot of really good salesmen and a lot of really good entrepreneurs, a lot of really good ideas yeah. people. And that's what excited me about the company is like there. It really was kind of a, a crazy meritocracy. You know, you weren't like plugged into a company and sort of like making your way up through right. the ranks. You were sort of like everybody's idea sh- mattered. Yeah. If you showed, you know, the kind of chutzpah and, uh, that um, these guys had, you know, that was uh, that was celebrated. And, you know, I certainly had if I didn't have the, the, the experience or the talent, I had the chutzpah. There you go. <laughs> that can get you a that, long way. It, it, at least get you in the door. I'm, I'm sitting here. <laughs> Got me here. Well, so were, you were there when the House of Cards came down? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And you had to do something, right? Well, it was brilliant because we had like six months of doing jack shit, you know. And Everybody could build so, their own yeah, businesses. So, well, Tom, well, Tom created – Tom became a poet. Yeah. Which was like, you're doing what? Uh, and it was during that time that a friend of mine, Doug Renfro, who was a – he was a um, – he had a media company in town called um, Radiant Media. Yeah, I know that guy. Crazy. Also crazy comes time. from a magazine background. I guess he was with you. He was at Will. It's all making sense. It's all making it's crazy all coming sense. Together. It's a tiny little world. Yeah. Uh, so Doug had been hired by this guy that I'd never heard of named Ross Bagwell um, <laughs> to run, to be like, I guess, uh, the head of creative. And Doug Sinatel? Said, no. Ross had just sold his company, Sinatel, to um, Scripps to launch HGTV. And had taken his suitcase of money um, and immediately opened up another production company, much to Ken Lowe's horror. Yeah, I'm sure. uh, Called Ross Television, Ross TV. So, so the Ross Bagwell uh, arc has not really been realized on this podcast before, but it's extremely important to. He's he's the guy. He's the reason. Right. He's the reason why there are all these producers. I mean, Whittle. Most Whittle. There was immediately after Whittle you know, uh, imploded, there was this diaspora of all the creatives that came in. I mean, at its peak, there were like 250 of us from New York and LA Mm -hmm. um, who had created what, you know, we sort of saw as like the British Raj in Knoxville. You know, (laughs) it was like, and I sound like such an asshole (laughs) for saying that, but really we came in, we're like, where's, what is this fucking place? You know, and we're, we were all hanging out together. We were all having our relationships together. There were a ton of whittle marriages and, um, they all, you know, everyone, you know, bought homes in the same neighborhoods and, and, uh, and, and, and created this, like 
weird whittle real estate bubble and uh, and and also you know funded uh, Bennett Gallery Bennett Gallery would not exist were it not for That's a whittle awesome. so um, <laughs> it's just awful bougie bullshit anyway so um, so yeah so uh, so, so we so had- this was all happening while Ross Bagwell was creating his f- factory mm-hmm. Uh, for the early days of cable. So the early days of cable, Ross Bagwell figured out needed a shitload of programming to fill black. You know, there's all this airtime and they didn't have a ton of money. And so Ross in his shrewd way moved from, you know, his, he had an ad agency. He created this production company with, you know, some uh, other local folks and his son, Ross. Um, and uh, it was called Cinetel. I hired a, you know, a brilliant marketing kid named uh, Stephen Land. Mm-hmm. And um, they started selling shows to, you know, some of Ross's friends who had just started TNN. Yeah. Uh, and uh, out of Nashville. And then there were these, you know, um, these fledgling networks uh, like Discovery and Amy and small cable networks at the tiny time. cable networks. There was uh, and, and Ross and Stephen, um, you know, just talk about, you know, gumption and, and ambition. Um, they started just selling, 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 selling. And, and brilliantly, Ross held on to m- much of the rights to these shows. He owned them um, because he'd go in and say, you know, I'll finance them. Uh, right. and, uh, and, and new, even for these networks that he was, he was creating the programming for, yeah. he would pay discovery for TLC, you know, it was all this like daytime, you know, uh, stuff that he was doing like, uh, home makeover stuff. Um, um, uh, for, uh, I don't know some of the other earlier stuff he did for discovery, but why but, Knoxville? Why? Just because of this one Ross, guy, Ross, okay, so, so Ross, Ross, I mean, you really need, you really need to get. Stephen Landon here, but you know, cause I'd love to, um, Ross, uh, had gone to New York. Uh, he, he was, uh, he was born and raised in McMinnville, mm-hmm. uh, outside of Knoxville, McMinnville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, from a, you know, not, I mean, like a, I don't know, working class family. Um, and he one day saw a television and this is, you know, Ross mythologizing. He one day saw a television at a gas station and he's like, I have to do that. And so he packed up his family, uh, Sue Bagwell. And I think they already had, um, uh, if not junior, which is what they used to call Ross junior, junior, uh, but also D who's a Haslam, D Haslam. Uh, they packed up and moved, uh, to, um, New York, where he was a page uh, at uh, NBC. Wow! And from there, you know, he he worked with um, the you know amazing folks there. He worked at uh, as a, he was an associate producer on Howdy Doody. Really? So he but worked his, his way up a little he bit. Worked his way the page up. Desk. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then he uh, his 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 wife Sue, uh, whose family's from here, uh, was like you know. Uh, get me back to Knoxville or I'm going to 
leave you. Uh, and so of course he, he would never, you know, that he, he wouldn't allow that. So he moved back to Knoxville and he started an ad agency, um, in Knoxville. So Cinetel was an ad agency, not just a production company? I don't think he called company. it Cinetel. It was, it was an ad agency prior. And then he started doing an in-house kind of production arm and it just kind of became Cinetel. One thing led to another. And he really just sort of figured out that, uh, you know, uh, he used to have all kinds of wonderfully um, inspiring quotes uh, from Ross Bagwell, uh, the Ross Bagwell um, aphorisms. One was, don't fall in love with it. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one was, flush it. Really? Um, yeah, because it was just like, was this is just, no, this just stuff. It was just, it was just stuff to put on the air. Oh, it was like, I this see. is not, you know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't art. It was, yeah. it was, it was TV stuff to fill the, 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 the air, the air times of these yeah. cable networks. And I, I heard that he affectionately referred to Cinetel as the, the Kmart of, uh, yeah. Yeah, he didn't give <laughs> of, of cable television. I mean, and that know. was before Kmart had such a good reputation. <laughs> no, he, he had, um, you know, the, uh, Club Dance, you know, which was this, I mean, he started selling stuff, you know, swag, selling it, selling crap at club because they had, you know, hundreds of people come to, um, Cinetel, uh, to their studio to, to do their, you know, line dancing and that he was filming and just cranking out, you know, gobs and gobs and gobs of TV for TNN. Um, and he would set up a, you know, um, a, uh, a booth and sell, sell crap. And he was like, if I could get a dollar from every one of these, you know, I mean, he had yeah. no, absolutely no compunction, no, no respect for, you know, the people who are watching this stuff, you know, right. uh, like he used to say, it was like, I, uh, you know, I sell this crap. I don't buy it. You know, that it. was his attitude. I, I mean, he was, it. and, and, you know, he was just, he was an incredible self-made man and, and, um, and, and going from Whittle, which was really just sort of a, a weird kind of uh, subculture of, you know, East and West Coast folks in Knoxville into the, the you know, Ross's world was a, a tremendous sort of eye opener for me. And, and, and um, it was it was, you know, a cultural shock um, cause Ross really sort of had created this very strange world and, and his son, uh, Ross Jr. Um, who was, you know, sort of a tragic figure, uh, was, you know, sort of a, um, it was, I, I don't know if I want to go into too much detail, but it was, sure. it was strange. It was a really strange little world. So your, your time coming together with, with Ross Bagwell was after the acquisition yeah. by HGTV, Ken Lowe had moved HGTV to Knoxville, I guess from no, it did not exist. It didn't exist. No, he, he created hired, it here. But, yeah, but he Scripps hired, was in Cincinnati, right? Scripps was in Cincinnati, and then they moved moved it down here. More as a print outfit, right, or, or a, no. a radio outfit. No, is that not right? No, no, no. I think he. Th- so uh, Ross had built this 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 structure out there, uh, which now is you know multiple times. So bigger. Ross built that. That was Cinetel. There was a small portion of what you're seeing yeah. out there in that campus next to Dead Horse. See yep. it from the interstate. Yep. So Ross had built, but it was a substantial building. Um, and he was cranking out, I don't know, 400 episodes of stuff a year. I mean, he really? was really just- So it was the studios? Factor. Studios. And he had built, you know, he, he had a um, uh, he had another studio that he was doing um, like uh, car 
fixing show, car fix up shows. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, this was also, they had sold a, um, a series Nickelodeon called Hey Dude, which was, uh, (laughs) which was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, it was big. That was huge when I was a kid. That was Cinetel. It's It's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah. It was that it was being produced five miles from my house. Yeah. You know? So that, you know, he built that thing and people started noticing it. So I think, at you know, at one point, you know, I guess he'd put the word out that he was available for sale. And uh, and HBO at, at one point was interested. There were other companies that were interested. And Scripps ended up buying it for a lot of money. And um, that included their library and their structure. And that was wow. to launch HGTV, which was, uh, you know, Ken's uh, brainchild. So they they purchased all the infrastructure to create their own network. That's much. right. That's right. And they they hired, um, you know, Burton Jablin and Ed Spray and, and, uh, and uh, you know, Ken had a boss named Frank Gardner, was an amazing, amazing guy. Um, and uh, so we worked closely with them on some of their early uh, series for HGTV uh, at Ross. And that was my first foray into um, sort of traditional TV media production. Was D working at, at Ross too? D, D was until the, you know, I was like heading out the door, D's name never came up. You know, she wasn't in the business. No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Um, you know, she had been involved in like helping, you know, sort of choose furniture. Yeah. Things like that. A designer. She was a designer. Okay. So you left Ross TV. What year are we at now? Um, so I, after three years of Ross and six years of Whittle, I'd now been in Knoxville for nine years and I was really sort of desperate to, um, get back to, to, you know, my people in New York yeah. and, um, and sort of, and I, that's how I sort you lived of a 30 year life in this town. You never even <laughs> knew existed. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, and so, and I, you know, met my wife at Whittle and my, my then wife at Whittle and, um, and, uh, had a baby, uh, Simon, uh, who was two at this point. Um, and I just, you know, I went into Ross and I said, I've got to, I've got to get back to New York. You know, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm, out of here. And Ross, you know, I mean, generously said, well, I'll set you up, you know, with a Ross TV office. Um, and so I found a, a, um, a tiny office right behind the Flatiron. Okay. Um, so it was an office. Yeah. It was a tiny office. It was like the size of, of this, of this room, yeah. you know? And so I, uh, I started, um, selling shows up there and that was my job. Uh, I was, I was sort of, uh, inadequately replacing um, Stephen Land, uh, <laughs> who was really is 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 way better at selling TV shows than I am, um, and uh, I was selling TV shows for Ross. Uh, then out of New York, I didn't have an assistant. I was sitting. I would go, go into my office. I I bought a house in Chatham, New Jersey, uh, where I installed my family, and and um, I was I was work commuting every in every day. You know, uh, the man in the gray flannel suit. You know, and um, I, um, you know, started living that life, which I, you know, I, I do love New York. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, toward the end of it, I was really, I just needed to get away from Ross. And this was during the early stages of the dot-com bubble. Mm-hmm. So 98, 99, I started um, developing ideas for a dot-com. And I was still working at Ross. Okay. So um, I found a business partner 
And I went out and raised a million five in an angel round for a dot com, which I, we called the Relationship Network. It was called Love Track. And it was uh, a continuum where you could go and you could, you know, click on where you were on the relationship continuum, pre-relationship, in a relationship, and you could get products and services related to that stage of relationship. And we, um, we, we, you know, hit up friends and family, we hit up, you know, small venture groups and raised a million five. Um, and I then quit Ross. Mm, yeah. (laughs) That's good. You need to know where you land, where you're going to land before you jump. Well, this was, this was kind of, you know, I mean, shameless. I, I, at one point I had, um, I think 11 people working for me um, in this tiny office at Ross and Ross would call and I would tell everyone to shh. <laughs> be quiet. I my, my boss is, my on, boss is, my on. boss is They're like, the you are the boss. I, like, no, well, it's another no, like, deal. No, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, I did that. Um, and so I, I uh, um, then, you know, quit Ross and um, I rented a space on 26th street between um, 6th and Broadway and uh, and I launched this dot com, and you know, burned through that million that five. investment million five in ten months. And um, a you know a week after this is now two thousand a week after um, that uh, we burned through that. I started you know north south. Okay, in New York. In New York. Yeah. In two thousand. Yeah. No, I I um, in two thousand. Yeah. I I call up a friend of mine. Uh, Mark Hickman, um, who was had, he a Whittle guy too? No, no, no. He was a Ross guy. Okay. Um, I had actually hired him to be a supervising producer over a series that we were doing for TNN. And, you know, I saw how hard he worked and he was just, you know, he was a great, he was a great producer and, um, and he'd worked at a, a small ad agency called Roland, Roland Productions. Old Tommy Roland. Old Tommy Roland. So he came from Roland to you? Roland to Ross. Ross. And then he, uh, um, and so I was up in New York, you know, um, I really, my orientation in in uh, in this world and media world and TV production is more toward development mm-hmm. um, and selling uh, than it is toward production, you know, and, and the sort of the, the, uh, the nuts and bolts of production. So, you know, Mark, you know, had a lot more experience in that. He was also more sort of, a, a an operations guy. Um, and, uh, so I called him, I said, Hey, you know, you, you want to sort of, uh, leave Ross and, and, uh, start a company together, uh, which we did. Uh, we didn't have a name yet, but we were like, you know, well, what do we call this thing? And, and you know, North South kind of made a lot of sense. You're up there. Because Mark down was here. down here. <laughs> I was up there. I was the, um, uh, as Ross used to call people who lived north of the Macon-Dixon uh, line, fucking Yankees. I like Ross it. Bagwell. Fucking like Yankees. <laughs> um and, uh, and so I was a fucking Yankee and uh, and Mark was down here. Um, and, uh, and Mark really wasn't fully committed to, to doing that, but we did it anyway. And wasn't committed to doing the company with you. Yeah. Really? And so, yeah. So the first, the first year though, we sold five hours to the travel channel, um, about Miami. Nice. And, uh, so we went down to Miami in, in January and February and I was like, 
what is this place? I could do this. I love this place. <laughs> People are so beautiful. Um, and uh, so um, we sold those five hours uh, to a friend of ours at uh, Travel Channel, Doug DePriest. And then we, uh, the next year, we sold 11 hours on the Caribbean, spent uh, three months traveling around the Caribbean. That was year two of North South. Uh, you, uh, by now, I think Mark is is starting to be okay with this gig. Mark is he? totally cool with it. Yeah. Um, and we, we opened a little, you know, we rented a place down in Miami. We we're like, we need to commit ourselves to being down here every winter. Yeah. And so, um, so that was year two, year three, we had 94 hours oh, of, yeah. of programming. And so it sort of took off. Um, right. we were doing home makeover shows. We were sort of following the, uh, raw, um, <laughs> weirdly enough, Ross TV, uh, and Mark had spearheaded this, um, were producing the first season of trading spaces. Really? Yeah. And so Trading Spaces was blowing up. Was was that with Ty? What's his yep. name? Yep. Yeah. I mean, Mark had largely cast that show. I worked with him on Extreme Makeover Home Edition years yeah. later, probably 2008, something like that. Lee Seaman, did you work with Lee back then? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. I got the job through a post supervisor in LA. Yeah. But so I always heard that he was found here, that Ty, what's his last name? Pennington. Pennington, yeah, was, was found here. Mark Mark Hickman cast him. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Hickman. My 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 uh North South partner. So you would you would sell the shows and then now it's Mark's problem. Mark and I would sell made. Mark and I would sell together. But okay. you know, eventually, I mean, so we launched this business, we grew it together, um, and um, you know, we we set up different worlds for each other. I think that was we we each had our own uh sandbox mm-hmm. and, and um and North was, uh, we had a, an office at 26 and Broadway for, you know, 1140 Broadway for a long time. Um, and then we, uh, we built this huge space, um, in, uh, the financial district. Um, and so the North portion definitely was sort of growing and expanding. And that was sort of my, my little fiefdom and Mark had his fiefdom down here. And, um, and we sort of outgrew the partnership. Um, but somewhere in there, uh, you know, we, we started producing a lot of different shows. Um, uh, we produced, you know, home makeover show. We sort of rolled with the, the reality, you know, sort of trends. Right. Um, I was always sort of drawn to dark documentaries and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, um, I'd done that at Ross. I, I, de- I developed, sold and produced, um, a, a show called, uh, the human canvas, which was about tattooing. And that was the early, early stages right. of, of that world. Um, uh, you know, that was predating the, the whole sort of tattoo parlor and before it was cool, man. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then, uh, so we, um, you know, I think, you know, sort of looking, making the sort of the, the leap from Whittle, my experience at Whittle to having a production company, again, was sort of opportunistic. You know, right. we'd go to these network brands, whether it was Discovery, History, you know, uh, HGTV, Travel, yada, yada. And, um, and that, those brands, those cable networks sort of defined what you pitched. It wasn't like the world is now where you develop ideas and sort of you, you do it, um, you know, for whether it's streamers or even for, uh, the, the networks, 
um, you develop what you want to develop. I develop what I want to develop. Right. Um, and pitch that um, as opposed to the old days where really the sort of the- It was relationship-based? It was very relationship-based. You had a relationship and so you you created or you developed content that would put you- That's right. That would well align you with that relationship. I mean, we were sort of an extension of these network brands. I feel like that's what the Jupiter thing has kind of done is, I mean, they have- Totally. Yeah. They have relationships with with true crime TV partners. And so that's the content they make. (laughs) Yeah. And you learn how to do, and you become known for doing a certain type of programming. Of course, you know, over the years of of, um, North South, over the 20 years that I've had the company- uh, you know, we were known for doing, you know, mail skewing programming. We did a, um, a series for uh, Discovery called Fight Quest, um, which was really very cool um, series about different types of martial arts. And um, we did, you know, then we were also known for doing home makeover shows. We were, you know, we were known for, we did Wedding Story and we did, you know, Say Yes Atlanta. So we were known for uh, doing female skewing programming. And so, you know, we'd get pigeonholed, uh, but then we'd break out of that. Right. Um, And so sort of our big breakthrough uh, into another genre was Impractical Jokers, um, which uh, was developed by my then... um, uh, He's sort of VP of, of development, a guy by the name of James Murray, um, who is one of the one of the tenderloins, one of the jokers, um, aka Murr. Um, he was my he was a development guy for me for really? years prior to developing. Uh, he was always developing shows that he would be in. Um, uh, is he is he a failed actor like me? Uh, no, uh, the Tenderloins um, had a an act. Uh, it was an improv troupe um, that they started um, in high school. Awesome. They went to the same parochial uh, Catholic school together. Where at? Staten Island. Okay. Um, I mean, their story is pretty. You know, I mean, that's pretty. I mean, people who are fans of the Jokers know their their backstory pretty well. Is that the the biggest boon you guys have kind of had. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, seeing that show, um, become, uh, really sort of the, it's as we like to say in the business, a genre buster, yeah. you know, there's really no other comedic hidden camera show that's done as well. And, and, yeah. and the guys themselves have become, you know, huge in, uh, you know, huge celebrities. I mean, they're not, uh, Brad Pitt, but they right. have a massive national following. It's huge. Um, we we have this we have this joke uh, at at Pop Fizz. We always love uh, when we're watching Impractical Jokers because that means we're traveling and it's on in every single hotel room at right right before dinner. Every, every on the on the Impractical Jokers Network, yeah. aka True TV. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's unreal. It's amazing. I know. And that's got to is that their is that their biggest show? Oh, I'm, it's it was it was the show. That got them on the map. <laughs> cha- well, no, it, it true was. I mean, they were doing stuff like, um, uh, what was that tow truck show? Um, Ice Road Truckers. No, 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 no. That was that was history. Um, they had some really really shitty reality series, uh, and um, that were you know like hardcore pawn, and I mean yeah, they were just yeah, yeah. basically ripping off formats uh, from other. Right. Uh, from other, you know, like Pawn Stars became Hardcore Pawn, which is basically just like a cheap inversion of Pawn Stars. Um, and uh, 
um, that, you know, sort of served them. Um, and then, you know, Marissa Ronca, who was one of the development, she was head of development at that time. She, um, you know, met with the guys and, and uh, heard the pitch, fell in love with it. And to their credit, um, Marissa uh, and her boss, um, you know, really rolled the dice on this show and sank like, you know, I remember hearing, you know, $16 million in promo on this unknown series that, um, you know, in its first season took off. How many seasons are you now? We're producing our ninth season right now. Nine hundreds already. Seems yeah. like it's like, I don't oh, know, I know, man. Seems like yesterday. The I show know. Came out. So, I mean, hidden camera shows, is that a genre? I mean, I remember punked, you know, that was kind of a, well, it was kind of a thing that did really well when Ashton Kutcher brought, you know, brought that thing out. I, I think it's, it's not like, um, you know, uh, murder porn right. is, you know, like ID and that kind of, yeah. uh, um, that kind of programming is, um, or, you know, survival shows are a genre, um, home makeover shows are right. a genre. I'm just trying to think if there's any other show in that format that I can really think think of or put my finger on either um, before there, or after. I mean, mm, you know, it, it's, I guess the, 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 the technology of hidden camera is used to different ends. Um, you know, there was, there was that, uh, to catch a predator kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, so you're, you're right. I mean, people came to us with the success of jokers. Everyone wanted their jokers. I mean, you know, and this is how the, the, the lemming aspect of our industry, yeah. which the people are just like, you know, we want to do that. We want that. Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's going to work for us because it's a hit, you know, yeah. and that um, Mark and I used to joke that, you know, what is our business strategy? Our business strategy is to create a hit. Mm-hmm. Because that is the game changer for a production company. I mean, we were very successful at, at hitting, you know, singles and doubles, but we never had a hit until Jokers. And then once you have that, everyone's coming to you saying like, okay, we want our impractical Jokers. Uh, needless to say, it's lightning in a bottle. I mean, those sure. four guys are incredible. Um, they're greater, you know, than the sum of the parts. I mean, the, the sum of the parts is greater, whatever the expression is greater than the sum of their parts. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but they are incredible and they're incredible guys. I, I, I love them, uh, as friends and as, as colleagues. Uh, but the idea of creating, um, another impractical jokers or something like it is just, you know, it's foolhardy. Yeah. Can't be recreated. No. Did, uh, did it open a lot of doors when you had the cachet, uh, behind mm. that show? I think what it does, you know, having a hit show um, for a production company, um, what it does is it stabilizes you. You're not staring down uh, the barrel of of uh, financial ruin all right. the time, <laughs> right? And so it emboldens you. And so yeah. I, I, you know, feel like it's helped me guide my development team. You know, Brad Kolenstein and. Um, and, and his group and, and my company in general, um, toward doing the kind of shows that we want to do, um, toward, you know, I, I, I started, a um, a sort of high end doc division called Noso Films, which is stuff that I want to, you know, focus right. on. And, and you can play a little bit. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause now I'm, I'm looking at, you know, uh, I mean, typically, Come January, I'd be looking at 
my cash flow drying up in June, say, right. if I'm lucky, you know, right. your runways. And so getting, I'm just like, shorter. oh yeah, no, it's, and that goes, I mean, the, the, how long it takes to develop a TV show, um, and to get it on the air and get through the whole bullshit, you know, development process to, you know, it's, it's uh, years, it's just, right? <laughs> it is. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, we've got a show. In fact, you know, uh, we developed, uh, a show, um, that, uh, um, uh, our friends at pop fizz, um, Came to us with with Lil John. Yeah, uh, I shot part of the uh, pilot. Oh, that's great! Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in Atlanta with Anitra. Anitra, uh, and uh, you know that's been a year and a half yeah. in the making. It was the sizzle we shot, not the pilot. Yeah, but yeah, that was at least a year. It was a year and a half ago. Crazy. Yeah, it's nice. So you know, it just takes forever, and and having uh, especially, and it's getting worse and worse. Uh, and so unless you have uh, that kind of financial stability as a company, um, it's very hard. Uh, I don't recommend anyone start a production company right, right. now. Yeah, or ever. Yeah. Uh, but so, but on the flip side of that, one of your tenderloin guys can get me tooed, and the whole thing comes down. Shh. Right? Oh my god! I can't believe but, you just said that. But I mean, I'm just. Oh my god! I, I'm just saying, no, as hard right, as it is right, to right. build, like you're subject to cancel culture now. Yep. Which is scary. I mean, that's one of the, the one of the weird benefits of having a show that's completely apolitical. And the guides are completely apolitical. Good. I mean, they're just not. I mean, they they you know, if if I was hosting a show, I'd be I'd be fucked. I know, me too. I mean I, I just I just yeah. No. I mean my, <laughs> my, my opinions, my political opinions are <laughs> way too strong and so you've got some squeaky clean guys that are good that you feel good about having uh not not being liabilities say, to the shows. I, I wouldn't. They're, they're they're not squeaky clean at all. Okay, not at all. I mean, oh my god. Um, but um, I mean, they're real people. Um, but they, I think, you know, I mean, they have a live show, and I think they appeal to people because they're not political. There's nothing. There's 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 no hint of it. Right. Um, they're real. They're they're you know they're uh, their their relationship is real. Uh, they're they're funny as shit. Uh, but there's nothing, you know, people can escape uh, from the uh, political maelstrom that we live in um, to impractical jokers and just sort of live there. It's awesome. Well, what's coming up? Um, we have uh, a, a limited series uh, about um, a, uh, a tantric sex cult. Always a good that, that combination is, of things, yeah. right? We were talking about uh, Re- Rebecca Ridner that that came over. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was on is the she, podcast. Is she in a tantric sex cult? No, it was just a regular cult. <laughs> but people ate that episode up, man. I'm oh, still yeah. getting. No, still I getting, can, People I, love cults. <laughs> no, I and and I, I love Rebecca. And if she, if you're listening to this, I you know I, Rebecca, I can tell you're you're cult prone. <laughs> you're yeah. She's. <laughs> She's uh, impervious to cults now. <laughs> we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Anyway, um, but uh, we have um, uh, we have that. Um, we have uh, another um, pitch that's going out um, that is about unsolved trans murders. That's uh, called the names, which is really powerful. Wow. Um, that's no so films. Um, we're also uh, yeah. That sounds like the darker stuff you were talking about that you gravitate it is, towards. It is. It is. Um, we also have uh, several um, great projects with our friends at HGTV. Great. Uh, on the other end of the you know from the sublime to the ridiculous, uh, the other <laughs> end of the of 
the um, cultural spectrum. Sure. Um, what else? Uh, and, uh, and then we have another series. We have we have a bunch of stuff that sort of spins off of of Jokers. Um, and I know I'm spacing out a bunch of things, but it yeah. takes the shotgun method. Oh, right? We have we have another. Oh my god, we have. Yeah, it does. It does. And I've always been a big fan of of diversification in right. our programming, in part because uh, I am a um, I'm just a creature of media. I just I just I love. I love characters. I love unusual worlds. Um, and so that can take me toward, you know, this crazy hysterical Instagram star that we work with named Amber Wagner. Um, just living baby. Look her up. Okay. So just living, just, just living. living. Yeah. We got a show with her with on Peacock that we're, that's going to be coming up too. So OTT, not, not, yeah. ju- not, not uh, linear. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Brave well, and the, and, the, and the cult series is for for Discovery Plus. So, I'm glad you're getting in on that. Yeah, while it's happening. Yep, that yep. sounds like it's going to be a really it's cool in, platform. It's, it's inevitable. It's. Yeah. I mean, you have to. Yeah. So, you're going to hang around in the business for a while. You think? Or, I mean, it sounds I like mean, you're you're just doing what you love now. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, um, I'm. You you're know, not going to be. I, a poet did I mention that I'm almost sixty? Uh, I have a two-year-old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so. Crazy. I have. I have. Uh, I. I um, have an amazing spouse, uh, Celia Winchester, who um, is, has an accounting firm in Knoxville that works that does um, accounting and CFO work for production companies. I think we're maybe about to be working with Celia. Uh, amazingly brilliant woman. Yeah. She's. I mean, I. Uh, I mean, my God, I can't believe. She married me, frankly. You married She's, up too. Huh? I totally married up. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, we have a baby together. And she a has two year old. She has uh two two tweet two teens, and I have a twenty-five and a twenty-three year old. So you have a house full. We well, have decades. We have decades of kids. Decades of children. Does that not scare you? Like I I've got a two year old and a four year old, and to press the reset button right now. Completely terrifies me. No, You've done no, 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 no. You've done no. It I'm in a twice. different. I'm in a different stage of life. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm in this place, and, and the pandemic has been in this incredible. You know, I hate to say it, but a gift in that I spent so much time at home with this baby, and and um, you know, I was building North South uh, with the other uh, with my with two Simon. older kids and and Simon and and Nemo, and um, it was uh, you know it was not easy. I mean, it was not easy for my ex, and 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 not easy for the kids, and right, um, and you know, it was super stressful, and and now um, you know, I'm I'm more comfortable, and uh, um, like I said, you know, I've I've built this this business that that works well on its own, and uh, so it affords me more time to be with the kids and. Uh, I can't go to New York. I used to be going to New York every other week, and now I haven't been there since March. I gave up my apartment up there. Really? You know? Oh yeah. I bet that was tough. It was. It was. Goodness. Uh-oh. Oh, it's, okay. it's spam risk from Hawthorne, New Jersey. See, New Jersey. See, that's stop poten- it. Potential spam is the one that always <laughs> hits me up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So no, it's it's uh, it's been really amazing uh, being with this baby, and and uh, and and how much. The other kids love the baby, and it's great. And um, I also mountain bike constantly. I noticed so. you had a, a a rack on your car, yeah. some sort. I didn't know if it was yeah, skis no, or I, a mountain I, bike. I couldn't tell. It was. I mountain bike several times a week. It's awesome. You know, Knoxville. I've is heard just, we've got some good good stuff. Incredible stuff. Here. Yeah. 
Yeah. So my, so that's where a lot of my, uh, my risk tendencies are now toward, um, that kind of self-harm, not so much financial (laughs) self-harm, but physical self-harm. Uh, you know, I was also developing a show, um, uh, this was this was at the same time. This predated Jersey Shore, um, and uh, um, so I was. To, uh, you know, there were networks that were asking for shows that were taking place to p- take place on Jersey Shore. This was be- so. This was before uh, that that series, um, and um, so in order to get access to some of the clubs down there, I you know worked through a guy who was made he was a made member of the mob mm. and um, he was also sort of loosely attached to this whole sort of other program I was working on. And uh, so I visited, um, uh, I drove along the Jersey shore with a made guy uh, going to different clubs, trying to get access. Um, we didn't, uh, but it was another, and there was a, there was a side tale you know, having to do with this guy that was in the car with me, whose father a was, side tale. Somebody was well, there was a, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. There was a side. There's a tangent oh, to this tale, story tale. Yeah, gotcha. um, involving this mad guy who, when, when we visited one town along the Jersey Shore, um, we went and talked to someone. He went in. Uh, he had to go in by himself because um, the guy he was talking to, his father had been had been killed by his, you know, by this made guy's father. So mm. there's some, there was, and so, and, and his father was Friction. away, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, for that purpose, for that reason. Wow. Oh no, it's just crazy. And and this was during this period where my business partner was just like, will you stop? What, what do you, what's your problem? Why are you, why are you working with right. this element? And you know, what is it doing for you? And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think maybe I should just mountain bike. It sounds like you've put you've been put in some pretty tough situations or some pretty scary <laughs> situations in I the know, name of television. I know, I know, I know, I know. But you know, and I should have just stuck with like making home makeover shows and or uh, what was the what was the one I worked on uh, the first one right after I got out of school. I, I came to Knoxville and you guys were filming an episode of something here. It was a uh, pageant show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Little yeah. Miss Perfect. Little Miss Perfect. Yeah. How, how'd that one do? I sure did well. We did Good. 40 episodes of it, well, you know? I mean, it was it was great. I, I liked it a lot more than Toddlers and Tiaras. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this 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 world that I'm in, you know, it it really does. It's it's incestuous. And that's why, you know, you see right. a lot of the same types of shows because- The Lemmings you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, we predated Toddlers and Tiaras when Toddlers and Tiaras did a lot better. And, you know, uh, that was produced by some friends of mine out of uh, LA. Any hard um, feelings when stuff like that happens? When they take a format no, similar, an no, idea. Because, no, because we've benefited from that as well. I mean, Good. you know, um, it's a- it Builds a genre that yeah. you have a back catalog for. I mean, you know, we produced a show called In Effects. We did um, 90 episodes, hour-long episodes of a, of a home makeover show for TLC um, that I, I still love. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was, you know, virtual ripoff of another show. And the network came to us and we were like, okay. Yeah. We'll do it. Everybody does it. <laughs> Why not? But that again, then, back to, you know, producing something like Impractical Jokers, which really is one of the few examples of a labor of love, a show that, that has such goodwill 
that is an incredible so i mean the number of stories i get of people who you know have an ailing child who loves the show and right. they, you know uh, i have people you know friends of mine network executives call me and say hey my son's bar mitzvah is coming up and you know could you get you know, Joe to do something and, do and I'll do, and him. I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll get Joe to send me, you know, uh, That's a, great. uh, you know, some, you know, little message to, yeah. uh, little Johnny who's having his bar mitzvah. That is cool to have something that you love, something that the people love, something that you enjoy working that on. That has done wonders for my company, you know. And, you know exactly. Yeah. And it, 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 it almost, I don't know if it completely combats the we're whores gentlemen mentality, but it is Ross. A, a nice. Well, Ross, I mean, I cut my teeth with a guy who really was just, you know, he just wanted to make money. He yeah. didn't give a shit. And, and and that my background, because, you know, I, I do consider myself a weird blend of entrepreneur and creative, um, you know, it, it I, I managed to create a, uh, um, a company that does value creativity uh, and yet also survives. That's all you can ask for. Yeah. Anything else, Charlie? I mean, we could sit here for hours, but I know. did we miss anything? Any, anything big? No, you've got my entire, entire story. story right here in an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and uh, again, you know, um, I love that you're doing this. Thank you. I love seeing how um, the creative community has evolved in Knoxville. And I'm sure there's going to be a whole new wave of different folks creating companies and yeah. doing cool things. And, and well, you uh, helped build us. So we, we need to know where we came from. We there, need to know our go. history. There, and and I, I tip my hat to Ross. I tip my hat to Steven uh, Land um, and other folks that really, you know, and there's a, there's a, uh, a very positive, uh, you know, uh, group of supportive folks in this. Uh, and I, I urge anyone who wants to get into the business to reach out to me um, and uh, I'll see if I can connect you with other folks. So it's awesome. Nice talking to you. Charlie, thanks a lot for being here, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Me too. Thanks, man. Well, how about that? That was amazing, man. I'm, I'm so glad Charlie came by. I'm, I'm honored that, that he came here. And uh, uh, thank you guys for listening. Check it out on YouTube if you want to see it. YouTube.com slash South of Scruffy. Check out the whole video there. It was a lot of fun to do. I appreciate you guys for listening. Take care of us on Patreon if you want to help us out a little bit there. Patreon.com slash South of Scruffy. That's what keeps the lights on here. That's what helps us do the video thing. It's all helpful. If not, no worries. Just just hang. Keep listening. Love you guys. Thanks again, Charlie. Take care. Matt Honkinen. Play me out. <laughs> <laughs>